And this incident here in Matthew chapter 8, this miracle, it does point us to the cross and teach us something about that great victory. You see, the devil's plot and the devil's ploy is to destroy God's creation and especially to destroy the people whom God has created in his own image, to destroy you and to destroy me. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Today we continue a message called The Power of the King. And Jonathan, I think sometimes we can forget that we have an enemy, the devil, who is like a roaring lion. As scripture says, seeking whom he may devour. You may forget that uh, we have a devil out there who wants to destroy believers. That's right. In this incident that we're going to look at together in Matthew's Gospel today, it is a stark reminder that the forces of evil are real, that there is a real and personal devil out there. But the Scripture never reminds us of that or teaches us about that in order to cause us to be afraid and to cower in fear. No, not at all. Scripture always teaches us that the Lord God of heaven above is supreme in his power over all forces and the forces of evil. So we're not meant to cower in fear, but we are meant to be mindful and realistic about the fact that God has a real enemy and God's people have a real enemy. We're going to continue to look at that today from the book of Matthew. We are in chapter 8, looking at verses 28 to 34 today. So grab a Bible, join us there as we continue the power of the king. Here is Jonathan. As we think about this rather strange and rather unfamiliar theme, it is important for us to recognize very early on that demons cannot possess a Christian. That is, they can't take hold of a believer's life in the same all-consuming way as we see they've taken hold of these men's lives in Matthew 8. We don't see evidence of a born-again, spirit-filled person being afflicted in this kind of a way in the New Testament. And that, of course, makes sense we have the spirit of God within us, he leaves no room for evil spirits to dominate us. But the devil and his spirits certainly can trouble believers and even influence believers. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 5 that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that warning in 1 Peter chapter 5 is addressed to Christians You see, the devil targets believers, and he is capable of doing great harm to believers and among believers. Scripture tells us that the devil is the father of lies. He is the great deceiver. And very often, the devil's work involves sowing deception, as he did in the Garden of Eden, if you remember. He causes discord and destroys relationships. That's one of his favorite tactics. And sometimes there will be situations in families or in churches where where deception has just come in, where division has arisen, discord. And without being able to say for sure, you sense that the devil and his agents have been hard at work. One of my former ministry colleagues, when situations arose where he could see danger signs and just see how the devil might be using it, he used to just say, you know, I think I can smell the sulfur here. It just smells of the agents of hell. And sometimes in some situations, you do just get a sniff of the sulfur and you wonder, perhaps there is some influence here that that is dark. Of course, we don't want to become obsessive. We don't want to go to that one end of the spectrum that that Lewis was talking about where you see a demon behind every rose bush. We want to be sensible, but you just wonder. Perhaps there's a situation of strange discord and unaccountable 
tension between people. Perhaps there's doctrinal confusion. and It just seems to have come out of nowhere. Where did that idea come from? And something about the situation, it just seems off. There's something you can't put your finger on. You see the deception. You see the ugliness. You see the discord. And it just smacks of the devil's work. It just smells bad. I wonder if you've ever had that experience. I certainly have. In fact, it has been my experience that in seasons of ministry, ministry I've been involved with, ministry I've observed elsewhere, almost the more fruitful the ministry, almost when the gospel is advancing the most and the Lord Jesus is being the most glorified, those are the seasons when there seems to be all the more strange opposition, all the more difficulty, and you just wonder what's going on. I can think of one occasion where there was a series of events that just provided roadblocks or difficulty in ministry during a fruitful time. And I, I told a, a ministry associate about one particular incident that had just been strange and, and a bit unsettling for us. And he said to me, I hope you feel very encouraged by what's happened there. I hope you're encouraged that that's taken place. And I, I'll tell you, there was nothing encouraging about this incident itself. But my friend's point was a good one. What he was saying was this, opposition comes when there is something worth opposing. The devil and his ugly team of goons, they they take an interest when the gospel is going forward. That's what was going on in Jesus' day. See, the kingdom was advancing and they didn't like it. And sometimes trouble and opposition, they're actually a sign that there's something that's worth the devil's time. Something worth his energy. Something worth undermining because it's dangerous for him. So we're we're right to be aware of this spiritual dynamic. In fact, we need to be aware of this dynamic so we won't be deceived and so that we won't be caught off guard. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul speaks of his readiness to forgive the believers at Corinth. You'll remember there's a lot to forgive there of any wrong that they've done. And he says he wants to do that so that they won't play into the devil's scheme, his plot, to alienate believers one from another. See, Paul, he's aware of what Satan's trying to do. And so he says this, And what I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And we mustn't be unaware. We mustn't be ignorant. We mustn't be naive. Now, this incident in Matthew chapter 8, it is a powerful visual reminder for us that the devil and his agents are real and that we need to be mindful of their work, unsurprised by their activity and prayerfully dependent on the Lord for his protection and his help. We're naive if we imagine that the devil is inactive or uninterested in what's going on in the kingdom of God. He and his minions hate God. They hate you and they hate me and they are gunning for our destruction. It's a wake-up call. It's a caution. It's a reminder. The power of demons is real. But the account here doesn't end with uh, simply a tale of the damage that the demons have done. No, Matthew makes it clear to us that although the power of these demons is real, the power of Jesus is far greater. In a sense, these demons are really only here to show us something more about the identity and the power of Christ. That's their function in the story. That's what they're doing in this incident and within this section of the gospel. 
I have a boyish fascination with cars that I can't quite shake off. And I, I saw a clip the other day of some crash tests of a couple of fairly chunky SUVs. These two models were actually in the news because they performed surprisingly badly in a couple of recent safety tests. But the video is kind of interesting to watch. You see the shot of this gleaming new SUV, shiny and powerful looking, kind of muscular, accelerating toward this crash block, this big, strong box that the cars smash into from different angles to test their crash worthiness. And you're thinking, wow, you know, this SUV is really powerful looking, really tough, you know, vroom, 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 here it comes, woo. And then it smashes into this crash block and the car is totally creamed. I mean, it is decimated. And suddenly you're not thinking, wow, that's an amazing SUV. You're thinking, what's that crash block made out of? How do they make that thing so strong? Forget that shiny SUV. That crash block is quite literally the showstopper here. If that block can take a hit like that, they built it of pretty tough stuff. These demons zoom on to the scene here in verse 28. They look pretty formidable. Matthew tells us they're so violent that no one could get anywhere near them. They shut down that whole area. And we're thinking, wow, it's kind of time to head for cover here. These guys are dangerous. But as they run up against Jesus, it is like they have hit a massive concrete wall. They have come up against something so much stronger, someone so much stronger that actually their violence and their strength only serve to magnify his, his strength. And right away in verse 29, these pathetic demons They serve to point us to the power and the identity of Jesus Christ. Right away, they serve to identify him with a degree of clarity that others haven't matched yet in the gospel. What do you want with us, son of God, they say. So far in Matthew's gospel over these eight chapters, people have been getting kind of closer to the identity of Jesus. Some have called him teacher. Some have called him Lord, and we're not sure whether they mean Lord as in sort of my Lord in a kind of deferential, polite way, or they mean Lord God of creation. But there, there are always gaps in, in understanding so far, even the disciples. They haven't quite got it yet. But no gaps for the demons. They don't need any help here. They know full well who Jesus is. Presumably, before their fall from grace, they saw Jesus high and exalted in heaven, They know who he is, and they know full well that they ought to fear him. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time, they say, quivering? See, they've been torturing these poor men whom they'd oppressed and possessed, but they're sensible enough to know that a day is soon to come when the Son of God will subject them to a far greater punishment. And so these demons who go around the world with such venom and such swagger, now they're reduced, verse 31, to begging. Begging Jesus to send them into the pigs rather than destroy them on the spot. And in his wisdom, for reasons we don't know and don't understand, Jesus decides to do that very thing. As if in anticipation of the day spoken of in Revelation 20, when the devil's cast into that fiery lake, these demons, they rush into the lake of Galilee, And the pigs are drowned. The demons don't die, of course. Their destruction is yet to come. But they're shamed and humiliated and defeated. They're sent away. Well, why does Jesus do this? Why do we need to see it and hear about it and learn of it? This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And while we pause right here for just a moment, I want to take this opportunity to let you know that this program is able to stay on the station because of your generosity. So thank you for giving to and supporting Encounter the Truth 
We truly cannot do this without you. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book that Jonathan has picked. It's called The Names of Jesus, Experiencing the Blessing of Knowing Him. It's written by Warren Wearsby, and this is our thank you gift to you as you financially support Encounter the Truth this month. Now, you can find out more about this book and give your gift online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Again, the phone number is 833-998-7884 and the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, if you did join us just a little bit late, we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 8, as we continue our message, The Power of the King. Again, here is Jonathan. Well, why does Jesus do this? Why do we need to see it and hear about it and learn of it? Remember that we've said before that the miracles within the Gospels reveal to us the identity and the power of Jesus Christ while also pointing us to his work at the cross. This incident, it shows us that Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth, Jesus, the traveling teacher, Jesus, the worker of mighty deeds, it shows us that this Jesus is none other than the Son of God. He is heaven's king, the second person of the Trinity. It shows us that Jesus holds a power far greater than the devil and far greater than his agents. It tells us that if we're with Jesus, if we belong to him, we're on the winning side. We're safe. We're secure. You see, through the word of God, we know the end point of history. We know how this story ends. It ends with a lake of fire for the devil. It ends with a stunning defeat. It ends in shame for Satan. And it ends in glory for the Son. But actually, although the final experience of victory is yet to come, the key moment in the achievement of that victory, the victory of Jesus over the devil, it is actually, paradoxically, at the cross of Calvary. It looks like a defeat for Jesus, but it is a great victory. And this incident here in Matthew chapter 8, this miracle, it does point us to the cross and teach us something about that great victory. You see, the devil's plot and the devil's ploy is to destroy God's creation and especially to destroy the people whom God has created in his own image, to destroy you and to destroy me. As we think back to the garden, the devil was out to alienate humanity from God back in Genesis 3. He was out to destroy the relationship between God and humankind. He was out to destine each one of us to hell. That's what he was seeking to do. But the cross of Christ, it is the great undoing of the devil's work. For at the cross, God found a way to fully redeem fallen men and women, boys and girls, without violating his integrity in any way, without sweeping any sin under the carpet. And in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, we read this, having disarmed the powers and authorities, that is the dark spiritual powers at work in the world, he, that is Jesus, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross is actually the great defeat of the devil's work. It's the moment when you know the whole thing is finished. Yes, there's going to be some time and there's going to be some more pain before the devil is finally cast away. But from the moment that the Son of God hangs on that tree for the sin of the world, from that moment it is game over for Satan. It's all finished for him. It's a bit like the fall of the Soviet Union. Cast your mind back 30 years or so. What was the key moment in the downfall of the USSR? Can you pinpoint it? Well, it was quite clearly the downing of the Berlin Wall. 
You see, the USSR, it would limp on for a little bit, but when that wall came down, everyone knew that the game was over. The death knell of the USSR had been sounded. And here in this miracle in Matthew 8, we're really being pointed to the victory of Jesus over Satan at Calvary. Demons are real. Demons are powerful. But praise God, they are now defeated enemies. They, they go about the world kind of dragging their chains with them, causing trouble, yes. But they're quite incapable of stopping the work of Jesus Christ or destroying the people of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, we mustn't be intimidated by them. We don't cower, but rather we stand. You'll remember those powerful words from the final chapter of Ephesians. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Power of demons, it's real, but the power of Jesus is greater. And finally, as we finish, we do need to see this. The reaction of people is quite astounding. Verse 33. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. People can be strange, and crowds can be quite perverse. I sometimes reflect on the remarkable British general election of 1945. You may remember the history Less than two months after VE Day, the UK held this election. It was a contest between Winston Churchill, the man who was rightly and universally credited with saving the nation from Hitler, and Clement Attlee, a man whom Churchill had uh, described rather uncharitably as a sheep in sheep's clothing. And astonishingly, the nation, they chose Attlee over Churchill. I mean, Churchill was obviously imperfect. He had plenty of shortcomings, but he had just saved the free world, more or less. He was this hero of towering proportions. And no sooner had he brought this salvation than the people showed him the door. No one could deal with demons in Jesus' day. If a demon got you or a demon got a member of your family, that was basically it. A life ruined. But suddenly Jesus comes on the scene with this supernatural power to destroy the forces of darkness, to expel these ugly demons, to bring deliverance, to bring salvation. Two men are now restored to their families and to their communities. It is a miracle of grand proportions. It is a beautiful thing. And how do the people react to what they've seen before their very eyes? Would you please leave? Please go away from here and do not come back. Start walking and do not stop until you cross the town line. One commentator observed that all down the ages, the world has been refusing Jesus because it prefers its pigs. John tells us that in Jesus, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. 
Yes, the loss of the pigs, that was an economic hit for the farmers. It was probably devastating for them financially. But it was clear that Jesus was bringing deliverance from evil. And the community were so shaken and so unsettled by this great clear out of evil that they instinctively asked the bringer of light to leave in order that they might settle once again in their comfortable shadows. And what a picture this is. What a picture it is for us of the reaction of so many in our world to Jesus Christ, the light of life. What a picture it is of how people react to him negatively and even with hostility. You know, we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus is widely rejected in our society, that people are unsettled by him. I mean, if it happened in his day, we should expect that it will happen still today. For us believers, this is actually strangely an encouragement. It reminds us that hostility to Jesus, hostility to the light, the, the preference for darkness and uncleanness, it is actually normal in this world. It's nothing new. As the cleansing and healing that Jesus brings, they're rejected. As people turn around and reject our own witness, as they take no interest or little interest in the things we have to say, as our society squeezes out space for Christian witness, as that happens, there's nothing new going on. There's nothing going on in our day that Jesus didn't experience in his. And seeing that, observing that here in the pages of Scripture, it does help to steady us. It keeps us from panicking. For others, though, this reaction of the crowd, as we see it and recognize it, as perverse and as unreasonable, as illogical and as incoherent, for some here today, this incident actually serves as a bit of a challenge and a rebuke. It's a challenge and it's a rebuke to you because you see in your heart something of this same reaction to Jesus. Perhaps you've been investigating the faith for some time. Perhaps you've grown up in the church and you know all about it. But somewhere within you, there is this aversion. You see that Jesus is good and you see that he's full of light. You recognize that. But something about you would frankly prefer the darkness. And maybe this morning in Matthew 8 has actually helped you to see things with greater clarity. And maybe today is the day that you need to stop resisting Jesus. You need to stop returning to the shadows and you need to welcome him and you need to accept him. You need to stop sending him away. And the wonderful good news of the gospel is simply this. If you will welcome him, he will come to you. The powers of darkness are real. And some here will be vividly aware of that. You've seen evidence of it. You know it full well. It's troubled you. It's concerned you. Perhaps it has frightened you. But the powers of darkness, they are nothing before the Son of God. The demons may rage and the demons may destroy, but before the Son of God, they cower and they flee. At his cross, they are disarmed. And at a day to come, they will be cast away. The world is a spiritual battleground. That's the reality. But praise God, we know the victor. And if we belong to him, we have nothing to fear. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, wrapping up our message, The Power of the King, part of our series, Kingdoms Colliding. And if you want to go back and listen again, you can always do that at our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is able to stay on the station each day because of your generosity. 
And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book written by Warren Wearsby. It's called The Names of Jesus. And Jonathan, how does knowing the names of Jesus help us in our Christian walk? Well, the Bible's presentation of who the Lord Jesus is, is is so rich and so varied. And one of the ways that the Bible helps us to get to know Jesus better is by teaching us his different names. And there are so many by which he is introduced to us in Scripture. We think of the Prince of Peace. We think of uh, the Carpenter. We think of the Lamb. Uh, we think of the Firstborn and, and many others. And in this wonderful little book, the author helps us to explore the names of Jesus so that we can get to know Jesus better personally. And I think that's going to be so rich and so encouraging for those who are able to get hold of this and to read it. Well, we'd love to send you a copy as our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. To give a gift online, come visit our website, EncounterTheTruth.org, or call us at 833-998-7884. That might be easier to remember as 833-99-TRUTH, or again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. For producer Mark Brennan and our Bible teacher Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.